Hey Rogue, first I would like to say thank you for taking the time to support my work and research by listening to this podcast. It is really greatly appreciated. I'd also like to give a shout out to a few mentors of mine for my work this summer during the University of Richmond's Race and Racism Project, where our theme was Revealing Resistance. To Dr. Ernest McGowan, our program director, Ms. Shelby M. Driscoll, our research coordinator, and Dr. Kathleen Skerritt, my personal mentor. Thank you all so much for your encouragement and your support and just really being great resources this summer. This podcast is the beginning of a series where I will do my best to tell the life story of an early African-American man named Ralph Perry. Um, He was connected to the University of Richmond and Perry, although newly emancipated, um, he subscribes $1 to the then Richmond College. As I create this narrative for Perry, I hope to be able to create a space where those who are often left out of the histories of universities such as Richmond are placed at the center of the story. This means that while I will be talking about individuals who most are familiar with, such as Robert Ryland, um, or even in the later podcast episodes when I go into detail about Perry's enslaver before he was emancipated, uh, those individuals and their lives are not the focus. The focus of this space is not simply the agony that um, Perry endured, but also the full conveying and information that, you know, Ralph Perry was a human who had emotions, who created a life for himself despite being born into enslavement, and who displayed resilience and resisted the force that is white supremacy. Um, so this podcast series I call Ralph Perry, The Unknown and Forgotten. Ralph Perry through the work of Miss Shelby M. Driscoll at the University of Richmond. Um, she uncovers a letter during her research into the life of Robert Ryland where he wrote into the Religious Herald um, detailing a trip that he went on. Her initial focus was on a young woman named Sophie that we'll be talking about in a few, um, and Ryland writes about her. My introduction with Sophie is what drew me into Ralph Perry, who initially wasn't a focus figure for this summer. But it is within this letter written by Ryland where he shares what he did on his trip and had gone on. Um, My focus here is how he closes his letter. In closing, he says, after preaching at the house of brother T.H. Rogers, the gayest of that vicinity, and at Harmony in the evening, I started the next morning to find Northwark. An incident occurred as I was mounting my horse that was too gratifying to my feelings to be here a minute. A colored brother by the name of Ralph Perry printed plainly, Mr. Compositor, since me, without being solicited, his subscription of $1 for the college. If some of those sons of millinery fortune whom would hold content this poor man had a tithe of his generosity, the world would rejoice where now it mourns. Thinking through language and the way in which Ryland writes about Perry is also knowing that Ryland was a very particular and intentional writer. Um, it appears as though that Ryland is congratulating and thanking Perry for his generous donation. And while this is true, there's also another critical analysis of this portion of his letter that requires some knowledge of the financial situation of the college at that time. In 1845, when this letter was published in the newspaper, the college was young and sort of struggling to develop itself financially, meaning that it was hard to get donors to support the young institution. This in mind, Ryland approaches his audience with this problematic rhetoric that he uses. Um, Perry has subscribed a dollar to the college, which is a major deal because a subscription is an annual donation, um, and this is something that can typically be relied upon each year um, compared to like a one-time donation. And for Perry to have this subscription um, be publicly thanked and listed in the newspaper as a brother, can you just imagine like how many angry um, 
how many angry people there were at that time. Um, in particular, how many angry white people there were. Um, and, you know, Ryland was very much so aware of this, which is why he writes this letter the way that he does. And then Perry being named as Ralph Perry is also the indicator and signal to the audience that this black man is a free black man. Um, whereas later in this letter, uh, where I was introduced to Sophie, um, and this is Sophie in quotation marks, he's just said list as that, a first name in quotation marks, um, which tells us that she is likely to still be enslaved. One, because of how her name is in quotation marks, but also because she only has a first name and is mentioned as the property of Brother O.T. Mitchell of Louisa. His letter of hardenation also lets me with no further hints to research into her life, who she was and who she may have later became to be. That in and of itself is connected to the through line of my work, which is focusing on how the history of those enslaved is told and how many details of their lives and who they were is often omitted. What I do know of Sophie is that she gave her donation before Perry did, and Ryland tells us this in his comments about her. He also tells us that she gave 25 cents and supposedly made this comment about her donation. Ryland recalls that as she is giving him this donation, she says to him to take this. I have no learning myself, but I want others to have it. From this, we do not know the intentions that Sophie may have had in making this donation. And really, the same goes for Perry with his subscription of $1. It could have been to sow a seed for you know future generations of Black youth to attend colleges and universities. Maybe it was to prove to white superiority that, you know, blackness is not as inferior as it is to whiteness as it seems. Or are these donations the result of indoctrination and assimilation? Is Sophie and Perry trying to prove a point that they too can be part of society? Unfortunately, I'll never be able to make those conclusions. And once again, it is that flaw of society to omit the voices of black women, black men, and black children. This is the reminder I had when I decided to pursue more into the life of Ralph Perry, um, to try and fill in these gaps of his life and gaps that were forced by racism and hate. And it was that same day on March 25th, 2022, that I knew I wanted to explore and find out more about this person that I had gotten a glimpse of through Ryland's letter and so that's just what I did. With the help of Craig Caudill, my friend and also a research fellow of the Race and Racism Project who was interested in the life of Perry as I was, um, we did a quick Google search with Ralph Perry, Richmond, Virginia. And after a few searches and narrowing down, we found him through this really awesome database called Family Search. This database informed us that Perry, along with whom we presume to be his wife and daughter, were located on a 1850 census schedule in Hawking County, Ohio. Perry, a gentleman named Alfred Craven, who I will later talk about in later podcasts, and a few other African-Americans connected to the University of Richmond, in this move to Ohio are in essence creating the foundation for what becomes known as the Great Migration, where many Blacks from the South um, are fleeing from slavery and Jim Crow to the North, where they assume that life will be better. Once we found this information on this Ralph Perry, we then needed a linkage between the Ralph Perry here and the Ralph Perry in the Ryland letter. Thankfully, I discovered this information weeks later with an awesome digital archive held by the Loudoun County in the name of Black History Conservation. This was an extensive set of documents that I transcribed and translated that I'll discuss in later episodes. But now, getting back to what I found on the Family Search database, what I found there was that Ralph Perry, along with his wife, Anna Perry, also noted as Ariana Perry on her death record 
and their daughter Elmira Perry resided in War Township in Hocking County, Ohio. On the 1850 census in which he and his family are listed, Ralph's occupation is noted as a farmer. This census also takes note of his and his family's ages. In 1850, Ralph was 49, his wife was 30, and their daughter was 17. This census data lists Ralph Perry as a black male, but his wife and daughter are classified as mulattoes. For those who are unfamiliar with this term, which is offensive in present-day society, this is a racial classification of one who is the offspring of a person with white and black ancestry. The reason that this classification exists is due to several ideologies, but one of its main reasons is for the upkeep and the maintenance of whiteness as a pure and superior identity, and therefore superior because of how pure it is. By default, anything that is not white is considered inferior and impure. This is relatively seen through the anti-miscegenation laws that permeate the nation from 1632 right up until the early 2000s where Alabama, the very, very last state, finally appealed its law against interracial marriages. And this was done in 2000, as we are still working towards um, keeping the white blood the pure blood. The 1850 census data also records the value of one's personal real estate, their place of birth, whether or not they were married within a year, if they attended school within that same year, whether or not if they could read or write, and whether or not if they were deaf, blind, insane, idiotic, pauper, or convicts. Ralph and his wife are listed to not be able to read or write, um, but their daughter was not included in this data collection, as this was for persons that were 20 years of age and older. Ralph and his wife are both recorded to be born in Virginia, but their daughter is recorded as born in District of Columbia, what we now famously call Washington, D.C., which is an interesting, complex piece of Perry's life because it raises the question as to the route in which Perry took from Virginia to Ohio. A few days later, Miss Shelby Driscoll shared some vital information detailing the potential ownership of land that Perry had, although in the census schedule, his, his value of real estate was not listed. It is within an 1876 property map um, that shows he owned just about 40 acres of land, and this information corresponds to an 1870 agricultural schedule. From all of this, what was mind-blowing was that what I could find out from a few simple documents and a few simple Google searches, all because I cared. I found out that Ralph Perry was a black man from Virginia who at some point in 1845 gave a dollar subscription to the then Richmond College. Perry, father of Elmira and husband to Ariana, or Anna, moved to Ohio after 1845 and was a farmer who could not read. While I was glad to know all of these key details of his life, I still wondered what was out there that I, that I didn't know, what, what stone had been unturned. Fortunately, there was more documents and information that I was able to go through to create a detailed narrative of Perry's life. Unfortunately, I'm out of time for this episode. I would like to once again thank you for tuning into this podcast series and spending time with me as I share my dedication to the life of Ralph Perry, as I've gotten to know him over these past few weeks, and as I continue to further investigate his life and give him the platform in which he was otherwise denied. I would also like to once again thank all of my mentors and incredible sources, including the Virginia Baptist Historical Society, the Loudoun County and its Black History Archive, the Family Search Database, Dr. Ernest McGowan, the director for the 2022 Race and Racism Project, Ms. Shelby M. Driscoll, our research coordinator and 
Dr. Kathleen Skerritt, my awesome and supportive mentor. And yeah, world, that's all I got for y'all today. Talk to y'all soon, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you.